Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Man, it, this morning was a, uh, believe it or not, it was a delight to scrape ice off of my windshield. Uh, after 20 days of rain and uh, about 60 degree weather as a consistent average, it finally is starting to feel a little bit like Christmas. Um, you probably won't catch me watching Hallmark later. I'm not all the way there yet, I promise. <laughs> Um, but I've been, uh, I've already gone through round two of my Christmas tree cake shortage. And, uh, so I'm really getting into the the Christmas season, but, um, confession time, I have not always loved Christmas. Uh, we go back about maybe 15 years ago. I worked at, uh, this land of what is supposed to be like Christmas Disney is the way they cast it. Um, from LaGrange or Pine Mountain, if any of you have ever been down to Callaway Gardens, beautiful place. Uh, come the festive holiday season, they put on a thing called Fantasy and Lights. It's everything that's absolutely right and everything that's absolutely wrong about Christmas. They start in September putting out the lights. October, staff comes in. We set up the Christmas Village. It's this big circus tent full of vendors and fudge and ornaments about 190-something trees. Um, It's a power bill nightmare. It's terrible. And then they get kids like myself who are in high school um, to be their little uh, grunts for the months of November, December, and half of January. Seven-plus miles of beautiful Christmas lights, wonderful songs. But for people like me who sit there and stare at the same Christmas tree over and over... The same 32 minutes and 46 seconds of A-track cassette of Christmas songs that play on repeat in my nightmares as I sleep. I slowly learned to not love Christmas. And that is not good. It's not good for uh, a pastor in a Baptist church to not like Christmas. I feel like that's like a, like a very critical sin. Like if Eric knew that, I probably would not have been hired. Uh, but it was, my, my Grinch face is, has faded um, to the point where uh, I, my, my heart has definitely grown three sizes in the last few years being here in Lindell. I went from wanting no tree to we had a tree in the living room. Then we got a flocked tree. Ooh. <laughs> to then having two trees in the house, one in the living room and the kitchen, both of which are flocked. All right. I catch myself humming songs now in August that are Christmas songs. And then, yes, I myself picked out a third tree and put it in my office at home without telling Hannah that I was doing it. So something is definitely changing. So we uh, fast forward some. We get to November. It's like the first week of November. Eric's planning out the Christmas season. Like, we're doing good, guys. Eric's prepping a message more than a week in advance. Whoo! And then a full series? Man, we are cooking he stops by, knocks the door, and says, hey, I got this awesome idea. This is a great series. Um, you and Alan are going to kind of jump in. Uh, Christmas messages. Cool. Yeah. Take a week. There's lots of things about Christmas. There's memories. There's fun stories. Tons of stuff we can tell. And he goes, well, we're going to do Christmas songs. That's what my 30-year-old ADD brain picked up was Christmas songs. Whew, gears are turning. I thought, hmm. Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey, (laughs) 
Brad Paisley's Penguin, James Penguin. And the thing is, it's like Eric knows me. And he looks at me like clear as can be through the door. And it's like all like piercing eyes, okay? Like he, he, scary almost. I couldn't even fully think this through as the words Christmas shoes were coming out of my mouth the exact same time he goes, absolutely not. And we both got an amazing laugh out of it. <laughs> he quickly corrected me and said that the words he said was traditional Christmas hymns. And then uh, about 30 minutes later, I got an email that said, here's a list of appropriate hymns you can use. <laughs> So he picked off the ones he wanted, and the Alan had picked one he wanted, and I just really couldn't decide. And so the, looking at the choices, Oh Come All Ye Faithful was on there, and I said, oh, it's perfect. You know what? It's great. So I start prepping my message week one of November. I am on top of it, because everybody knows that a good message never changes before it gets to the pulpit. Till two weeks ago, when... Uh, Eric decided to preach a message, and uh, lo and behold, he used the exact same scripture, scripture references I had already written out. So if you want, we can end this sermon right now. You can get to lunch, go to facebook.com, go back two weeks. You can watch it. It's on our website. Or we can gather today for another awesome opportunity because it was a chance that God said, hey, Ashton, stop. Let's reconsider what this looks like. So I went to the Brain Trust, the smartest group of people that FBC Lindell has. All right? Not our senior adults, not our deacons, our kids. Went to our kids, looked at them and said, what is Christmas about? Boy, did they give me all the great, most perfect answers. In true Family Feud style, the top three answers of what Christmas is about, the number one answer is presents and gifts. Great. I'm going to turn a message with presents and gifts. Awesome. Number two answer was? Going to grandma's and family. All right, we're getting there. The number three answer? This is what I call job security. They're listening on Sundays, guys. I promise. Now, I look at this, and I start going through, and I'm thinking, all right, presents, Family, Jesus. Pretty much can write itself. But I'm still stuck. So start thinking about presents. You know, there's always that time for the opportunity where you have received a present in your life that just means so much to you. Parents, you know that you have given a gift at some point that you know your kids have loved it or you have gotten a gift from your kids. Husbands, that one time in 22 years when you finally nailed it and got that perfect Christmas present, you were still living on that amazing Christmas high. I know it. I can feel it. I'm still stressing right now. I have not done well over the last couple of years. I'll get there. But then also, it just reminded us of presents we've asked for that we didn't get. And you know it. You know it as a kid. You probably asked for something wasn't there. And now that you're an adult and you have an adult money, you could go and buy the Easy Bake Oven. You could go get that Red Rider BB gun that you ever so wanted. I mean, it's whatever it is, but you didn't get it. So I stopped and I started thinking about presents I did receive and then started thinking about presents that people haven't received. And I looked up my bookshelf and 
I have this present sitting right here. Now, this is my teen study Bible. Um, I don't open it much right now, just because of the sheer fact that if I crack the pleather anymore, the top will probably fall off. Um, some of the pages are really brittle. It still kind of smells like middle school. Um, but it's important when it sits there, because I know that it was through this, through these pages, through this word, um, that my life took a turn. It took a change, but for the better. And it started by just this the small stamping here on the front in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Um, that is by far my favorite verse in the Bible. That passage is my, my favorite passage. And it starts off, it's traditionally known as the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. It is filled with stories, historically through the Bible, of moments of individuals with great faith that ultimately didn't receive a present that they so desperately wanted. So this morning, to, to start our message time off, to start this as we dive into the scripture, um, I've got a small task for you. I'm going to read through Hebrews 11, and then I'm going to stop about every few verses, and you're going to help me out by just saying, oh, come, all you faithful. So we're going to practice one time. I'll point to you, and all you got to say is, oh, come, all you faithful. So you ready? All come, all you faithful. Perfect. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their accommodation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. By commending him, by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he has condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven 
and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13 right here hits a little bit differently. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They died, not receiving that present, not receiving that gift. As our kids so ever so lovingly pointed out that the thing that's most important about Christmas is presents, and man, they, they didn't get it. But they were faithful. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, that even through a world that in which was lost, that we had not yet been rescued, they still trusted in God. When God called upon them, they continued to listen. And it wasn't easy. As you look at this piece of scripture, we see individuals who, when God called them and they follow, and their willingness without seeing or knowing the outcome, were assured that God had it covered. Not saying being in heaven is not a present or a gift, but it was this buildup. Imagine going to a Christmas party and you don't unwrap anything. You're still going to have fun. It's still going to be great. You still know that you're loved. But man, something special about being able to take that present, being able to receive it. Some of you like giving gifts and some of you like receiving gifts. And man, there's power in both of those things. And they gave and they gave and they gave. They gave their life. They, they gave their faith. They put their trust in God. but they didn't get their present. But one thing that's special about all these individuals is they're a family. Man, family is great. As our kids put it in their exact words, going to grandma's house. So, you know, over the river, through the woods, in about 4,000 years is what it took for uh, us to get from Adam to Jesus' birth. And family is important, will we agree? We've got a family sitting here right now. It doesn't have to be blood. It doesn't have to be marriage. We love one another. We have a, a common bond in that. Every person mentioned through what the author of Hebrews put down is family. The genealogy is not a coincidence. It's chock full of individuals God called to be faithful. God promised, and through their faith, they saw the wonders of his work. From the land and inheritance to the baby at an unexpected time, all the way to what would end up being the birth of our Savior. This family, these citizens of heaven, though faith that did not receive the present of Jesus. We know that in Matthew 1, it outlines the, the descendancy from Adam to David being 14 generations and from David to the exile and from the exile to Christ. We know that all of that is planned out. I know last weekend, if you were here with us and uh, you were able to take part in the Lamb of God, that we sing through a genealogy. Uh, a couple years ago, when Eric got done singing that, like, that really laid on me. Uh, put a four-page poster, each one's about this, by this outside of our nursery, that literally shows the genealogy 
of Christ family. And it was through that that I spent about three solid weeks on Wednesday nights, honestly confusing, and then trying teaching and our kids learning that that lineage, that family meant so much. Them being able to see who was related to who, outlining it through John. But then we get to the author of Hebrews. Unknown to us, he outlines this family through the first part of chapter 11. But he tells us how he did that. He tells us how those individuals were faithful. It's like the the secret recipe. It's those uh, herbs and spices at KFC. It's this extra sugar, nutmeg, and maybe the, the secret vanilla that grandma puts in her cookies. He gives us that recipe, and it's, it's in Hebrews. So we rewind just a little bit. Chapter 10, look at verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. So we're starting off when we're looking at this. We, we can break this down and looking and saying we have confidence in the fact that we're entering a holy place by the blood of Jesus. So we know that we're having confidence because Jesus shed his blood and it was through his flesh. It was through an individual that was here on earth. So that breakdown is we can have confidence knowing that our faith has virtue behind it. it has a, there's a point that we can, we can back it up. And it was because of Jesus' blood. But then we get into verses 22 and 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the, <clears throat> let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. didn't say Betty Crocker before it, but that right there, those two verses, that's our recipe. It's telling us to draw near with a true heart full of assurance. That's the first part. It's for us to go and do something, all right? Effectively, it's like preheating our oven. We're going, we're drawing near, but how do we do it with a true heart full of assurance? Trusting in something. The assurance of faith but then it tells us with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We can't approach that faith if we're still living our life full of sin. So he's saying, hey, you approach this, you come to this with your full faith, but you've got to put sin aside. And it says with our bodies washed with pure water. We have seen on multiple occasions this year, just sitting right up here in this baptismal, you saw it on the, the missions video with Lottie Moon. We see it scattered throughout Scripture. It's not talking about the, the purity level of the water, but the pure water being the living water, being through Christ, our baptism through that, that when we wash our sin from there and we approach things with a sinless life and we look at it with full assurance and faith, it tells us to... Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. 
I'm reading that and I'm thinking along through this path and I'm going through and I'm thinking like wavering. We can't step left, we can't step right. It's almost like you're, you're watching those cookies bake and you keep opening the oven to see when they're ready and they're not gonna cook all the way through. You're not trusting in what's in there. You have to know that it's gonna do its job. And so you know that God has done its job. The second you start thinking, God, you're not doing your job and you're wavering, you've lost it all. But it caps it off by saying, for he who promised is faithful. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This whole section is about family. You skip a Sunday, I'm not coming to knock down your door, okay? You skip grandma's Christmas dinner, you might not make it to next year's grandma's Christmas dinner. I get that. doesn't matter if you are traveling to a different state, across town, or even next door. You have a journey that you get to go on. It's very symbolic to that of what Joseph and Mary, them traveling to Bethlehem. Through their journey, they were faithful. Through Hebrews chapter 11, their journey, they were faithful. And so it's telling us that what we do, we are to stir up one another to love and to good works. We're not neglect to meet together. Can't hide yourself away. You gotta, you gotta step up. You gotta, you gotta come to church. You gotta to go in that. And church is not four walls. Church is God. It's Christ who died on the cross for you. And encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christmas time, we come together as a family. We pass out gifts. We celebrate. But what makes Christmas Christmas is when we finally get to praise God, the celebration of the coming birth, knowing that he is faithful. The theme from all the earlier verses to the Old Testament heroes exemplified and defined as a forward-looking trust in God. The emphasis of these examples moved from just a general faith to a faith in the face of hard choices. I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I feel like I'm, I'm a good advocate on this. You're not exempt from hard choices in life. You don't get to have just easy faith. It's tough. But as it tells us, we're looking at this as, as what that old scripture is, what the author of Hebrews wrote it's telling us that they had faith in the face of hard choices to faith resulting in victory. As that writer includes all of these and he continues through the bottom half of Hebrews 11, he, it's almost like rapid fire, naming off more and more heroes, more and more stories through scripture. God waited to deliver the ultimate fulfillment of his promises so that we... That's you, that's me. Those of us that are alive now would have the opportunity to be saved. Given that privilege, Christians ought to, to strive to endure and hold fast, living out the same godly faith. And he did that through sending his son, Jesus. 
So taking a look at, the, at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This verse drives home a point that is humbling and convicting. The ultimate reward promised to believers in God had not yet been delivered, but had been saved for us. We look through the, the lyrics of O Come All You Faithful. It's pretty simple. The next lines we go through for us to adore, for us to be joyful, for us to be triumphant. We saw the citizens of heaven. Those are those that have passed. We see that the angels are singing. It's telling us to come and behold. Glory to God and all glory in the highest. We know what is coming. We know that it is foretold to us, and we can see that in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The promise that God had told all of those through the past, through the stories, everything that has led up to this point came to be. The present that they ever so asked for, they wished for, they wrote, they put on every list, came to be. Something tangible that we could see, that we could hold something that would be here, a representation for us to, to know how to live our life, something that would be perfect. The words spoken through the genealogy, through the prophets, told multiple times with the promise to us, God's people, that a present for everyone, a brother to the disciples, a man from our Father. Jesus truly is what makes Christmas Christmas. It's not the trees, it's not the presence, not the lights. It's not Rudolph or the elves or Santa. Believe it or not, it's not all the things that we make it out to be. It's not what I sold when I was at Callaway Gardens. It's not what I lived, breathed, and ate for two to three months out of a year just to make minimum wage. That's the part of it that made me not like Christmas. But when we come to realize that Jesus is the reason that Christmas is Christmas, man, that's what makes me love Christmas. That's what encourages me to go and do all the, the goofy and silly things because that brings joy, but it, because it initiates a conversation for us, for me to talk to kids. I put up a Christmas tree not because I wanted to hang Star Wars ornaments on it, but because it was a fun conversation, and that brings it back to talk to kids and saying, hey, I put this tree up there because I'm celebrating a time of year because your Savior was born. Jesus is what makes Christmas Christmas. And I love it because 
without Christmas happening, what takes place on Easter wouldn't be there. I love Christmas because I love Easter. What started in a manger ended on a cross. And that wasn't just for me, that was for you. It ends the final verse of O Come All Ye Faithful, stating Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So this writer, about 400 years ago, says, hey, O come all ye faithful. He's taking scripture that has been written out. We can find it. We can track it through. And not even just looking at Hebrews. We know that the angels were singing out. Eric told us that two weeks ago in his message. We know that the angels are telling us. We know that they're singing. We have so much documentation that we can track through it. So many hymns and so many stories telling us exactly how glorious of a day that is. That song was not written for the people who were in Hebrews. The song was written for you and for me. It's saying, O come, all you faithful. It's not a story of what was, but a story of what is and what is to come. He is calling you the faithful. The ones that are going to face those hard, tr- those hard times. The ones that are going to face those challenges. He's calling you. You've gotten that present. You've got the family. You got Jesus. You got the whole package. There's really nothing else we can complain about. As our kids put it, simply, it's those three things. That's that's what Christmas is about. So yeah, it's about presents. It's about family. But I would like to say that our kids are learning that we're taking that number three answer and we're putting it number one. That Jesus, he encapsulates the other two areas. And that when you leave from here and you're traveling and you're going around, yes, take part and celebrate through the season. But remember, what makes Christmas Christmas is what started in a manger and ended on a cross to take the punishment of sin for you and me.